0: Coming live from Hoboken, New Jersey, USA, is our guest tonight. Welcome to this very special edition of the KJ Masterclass Live, the show which ensures that you profit from your time spent here with experts, either through their industry insights, information, or simply learning from them. And today we have Brian Gorman, transformational change coach, a public speaker, including TEDx author, podcast host, and several other things. Welcome to the show, Brian.
1: Thank you, AJ. It's an honor to be here.
0: And it's an honor to have you on the show, Brian. And we'll be talking about Enlightenment's leadership strategy for 2023 and beyond. So to make a good start, the basic start to this episode, Brian, is uh, we a lot of people know about leadership and a lot of people claim to be great leaders. But what is about enlightenment, enlightened leadership?
1: So I think, first of all, the most important thing for me about leaders is it has nothing to do with your title. You're not a leader if you don't have followers. And back in the industrial age, we had followers because we had the title, we had followers because we, um, held sway over others futures we had um, followers because uh, others were dependent on us for their living the world has changed and and it's a change long time in coming if you look at the work of of people like peter drucker and um, mcgregor they've been talking about this change since the last century, Um, but the great resignation, COVID really served as the catalyst for the great resignation. And, And today people are saying, I'm not going to do this, just because I get a paycheck. And we heard this from the millennials for years. People used to complain about the millennials. They didn't stick around. They kept changing jobs. Well, they kept changing jobs because they weren't finding purpose. They weren't finding meaning in their work. Um, the enlightened leader is a servant leader. The enlightened leader is a leader who knows how to ask questions, to coach, to listen. So that's my starting point,
0: AJ. Right, right. So for the starting point, where is this enlightenment, uh, enlightened leader? Where do we find them? And why, why, why is it that if you tell me that there are enlightened leaders around, then how have you come to the great resignation? Why are we telling that millennials, they don't stick to their jobs? A lot of CEOs also don't stick to their job.
1: <laughs> a lot of CEOs don't find a whole lot of purpose in their jobs either. Um, a, a piece of my answer to, to this question is that I really believe that even frontline managers today have to be leaders. So we find enlightened leaders at all levels of the organization. Um, But again, they don't stick to their jobs if they're not supported by their leaders. And, And so another piece of the story for me is if we look at the forces driving the Great Resignation. Um, what we really see is we are, I believe, at the earliest stages of as significant a shift in the workplace as we were at the early days of the industrial revolution. So there are enlightened leaders and they're at all levels of organizations and they are breaking tradition. And so, more and more we will see them rise to the surface
0: okay can, can you explain this further for us and our audience uh brian is that enlightened enlightened leadership as well as you know we are at the early stages of you know industrial revolution at the start of the industrial revolution how do we connect that is it is it a good thing is it a bad thing is there a churn happening? What sort of a churn is it? Is it the churn after ineffective leadership and then something good will happen? Or is it a churn which will be there for a long time? Will it be detrimental to the, to the economy, to the workplaces? How will we see a better system or situation uh, in the future? Will it be in 2023 or 2030? When is it? When do we come to a stable point?
1: Never. <laughs> change is inevitable. Um, you know, and there there are so many different people we could could quote about that. But um, we we can't answer today's problems. We can't move through today's challenges with yesterday's solutions. So, the the change we're in really is transformational now in the workplace um, but there is no we're going to settle back in from my perspective because the world around us continues to change the, the the priorities of people continue to change economies continue to change politics continues to change so the the best we can hope for in, in my perspective, are enlightened leaders who can be in tune with those changes and support those who they are leading to move successfully through them.
0: Right, right, Brent. So let's break it down uh, in a much more simple manner. What will an enlightened leader in today's time, what will he bring to the workplace? And as the topic says, crafting an enlightened leadership strategy. How would an organization who is serious about this sort of a thing, who is worried about ineffective leadership, wants to bring in enlightenment, enlightened leaders? Where do they start? How do they start? How do they bring about transformational change, you are the transformational change coach. What would you suggest for them? Big organizations, smaller organizations, even startups. Everywhere you need leaders, enlightened enlightened leaders, seriously.
1: So the first thing, and AJ, a, a lot of years of my background are in what's known as organizational change management, and it's a misnomer. Because organizations don't change. People change. So as you say, whether it's a startup or whether it's a global organization or anything in between, it starts with the people. And it starts with people who have have a passion about the purpose of the organization. It starts with leaders who know what that passion is in the employees who work for them and and aligns what work we're asking you to do with the work that feeds your soul that's where it really starts and then it starts with leaders who do everything they can to set set you up for success and then they're there to move obstacles out of your way it starts with leaders who understand that those who work with them and for them need to be held accountable, but they also need to be supported with empathy. So it really starts with um, a very intentional um, defining, redefining of organizational culture, organizational purpose. Um, I had a conversation not too long ago with Will Scott. Um, who is a book, uh, author of several books on on culture. And he talks about the fact that leaders shouldn't be leading organizations. They should be leading cultures.
0: Right. But we have come to a lot many toxic cultures in workplaces. Now, is it so difficult to keep a good culture in your organization? Is it so difficult to have Enlightened leadership or is it is it because we are so focused on profits profit margins that and sales there's so much of pressure pressure of recession is it because of that that people are not able to implement or is it because of lack of ideas or is it because people are you know not that uh, uh, not that talented. And when there is not enough talent, then you, you know, start being, being, uh, being your, you know, catalysis in workplace if you can call it that. Case.
1: My my perspective, and you know, I won't promise I'm hundred percent accurate on this because it's a big generalization. But my perspective is a lot of it has to do with uh, fear at the leadership level. Fear that if I shift my behaviors and our stock prices drop this quarter, uh, I'm going to suffer. Um, Fear that I don't know if a shift is going to work. And what I'm doing now used to work. So I I think really fear is at the heart of a lot of the challenge of bringing enlightened leadership in. It, It requires trusting your employees. It requires an incredible amount of trust across the organization, up, down, and and sideways and diagonal. Um, And I know here in the U.S., just this fall, I read an article that I think it was seven out of the top 10 uh, largest companies in the U.S. um, are tracking the keystrokes of their remote workers um, and their workers in the office. That's not trust. That's not enlightened leadership.
0: Right. Right. Then if there is so much of fear in workplaces, I thought it was it was employees and who, who can who would be fearing about their jobs. But if leadership, they are so fearful about bringing in change, how can you, you expect them to bring in the change? How do you then bring about the change, the good change that can lead us into a future better place, work, workplace and better work cultures how do you see that clients? You uh, advise a lot of people, a lot organizations. Why is it not every company is listed, right? There are startups also. When you several startups, you can find that the culture needs a lot to be desired. Now, where, where why is that fear there? Is it not every startup has also gotten investor money? Many are just trying to pick up from where they have. They've just started and. The culture is not that great. We may call. We may like the idea. We may like like what they are about to bring to the table. But it's about we are talking about the culture. How does it work? Because if we don't change, then there are millions and millions of people in our workplaces. Will Everybody cannot lead a, leave their jobs and be a part of the great resignation. Or, or should we? They, do they continue to live in toxic workplaces? How do you, there has to be a solution, Brian. You, you can't just keep on saying that, listen, uh, th- things will not change. You are, You have to bring the change. You have to give a solution to that. Give some solution to the leaders who want to bring in positive change and that there is nothing to fear, that there is some purpose that needs to be lived.
1: Years ago, um, when I was doing organizational change management work, um, really challenged a leader on the technology infrastructure that they had in place. And he said to me, I don't want to be on the leading edge of technology. I want to be on the trailing edge. That was his mindset. And he's no longer in business. His business is no longer in business. There are going to be winners and losers. There are always winners and losers in business. And, every indication that I see says that the winners are going to be the ones who say the way we used to do it, isn't going to work anymore. And it's going to shift AJ. Um, It's going to depend on the the culture. It's going to to depend on the economics. It's going to depend on the politics. Um, It's going to depend on the competition in the marketplace. Um, But the change is inevitable. And so my challenge to leaders is, um, do you become a victim of that change? Or do you take on the challenge and risk succeeding?
0: Okay. Okay. So uh, in terms of great resignation, Brian, then, uh, can leaders start from there and learn from there? And start bringing in changes, not out of fear that they will lose employees, but out of the concern that they do not want to lose good employees just because they want to have a better quality of life and have a life which has better work-life balance. That's not a crime. How do they start? What they can learn? I think that can be a good starting point.
1: They start by listening. McKinsey published a study um, in in their quarterly that looked at why employees are leaving versus why employers think that they are leaving. And the disconnect between the two was astounding. Um, Leaders need to listen to their employees. Again, I want to go back to, to my own experience years ago when uh, here in the U.S., the the telecom industry was deregulating. I was working for a major change management consulting firm at the time. And one of the big uh, telcos came to us and they said, we need help. They said, with deregulation, we thought we could go from being an elephant in the industry to a Jaguar. We ended up being an elephant on SlimFast. Your best employees, your most talented employees, your employees who are able to move through change are going to be there with you if you listen to them, if you align them with you and align you with them. And they're also going to be the first ones out the door if you don't.
0: Right. Where does this, you know, so many industry best practices, HR bricks practices, why is it there is so much of mistrust, trust between the management, uh, the leadership, as well as the employees? Earlier, if I remember when I started my work in journalism, uh, there are hardly any uh, cameras, you know, CCTVs inside offices. But there was a huge amount of trust, not only in journalism, but everywhere. Now you have 24 into 7 cameras, 365 days, and there is no trust or less trust. Where does trust come from? Do they come out of CCTV cameras, or do they come out of heart, mind? Where? Where has it vanished, Brian?
1: So I I agree with you about the fact that cameras in offices, just like tracking keystrokes, are big, big red flags of distrust. I use a, a neuroscience-based model for trust that comes out of the work of Judith Glasser. Um, she spent many years studying the neuroscience of conversation, and her her model actually is the only acronym that I use because the acronym is TRUST. It it tells you what it's about. The first T is transparency, um, and and that transparency we all know or think we know what transparency is. The big piece of transparency that most leaders miss is what do I need from you? What do you need from me? Let's be transparent about that. Boss, I need this from you in order to be successful. Brian, I need this from you in order to be successful. R is relationship. That is the relationship that comes from seeing the world through the other's eyes. So if I'm reporting to you as my leader, um, what is the world as you see it? And if I'm your leader, what is the world as you see it? You is understanding. That comes from the deep understanding um, or the the understanding that comes from deep listening from appreciative inquiry, from asking powerful questions that we don't have the answers to of the people who are working with us. Um, S is shared success. And AJ, you and I both have worked in situations where um, leaders have spent a whole lot of time uh, wordsmithing so that we can all agree on the words and then go off with our own meanings of them. That's not shared success. Shared success is about having those difficult conversations that bring us to shared meaning, not just shared words. And then the final T is truth telling, but it's telling the tough truths with caring and candor. And again, that's not something that most leaders learn how to do. Either it's candor, like AJ, you really messed this one up. Or it's caring, you know, I understand why you you know three three weeks late on this project and you know don't worry about it and and then all of a sudden the walls come tumbling down. So telling the tough truths with caring and candor. Trust the the, the last piece of this that's really important for people to understand. Trust and distrust actually live in different parts of the brain. Trust lives in the prefrontal cortex. That's where we do our problem solving our Our creativity, our reason thinking, our our logic, if you will. Distrust resides in the same part of the brain as the amygdala, which is the fight, flight, freeze, appease uh, response. So, if we're getting, you know, if we're generating as leaders an environment of distrust, if we're signaling that we distrust people, the best we can hope for is compliance. And compliance doesn't give us the best that people can bring.
0: Right. 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 When did you get this, you know, four day work week trademark? When did you get this thing done?
1: The four day work week trademark um, was granted at the end of March in 2020. It arrived just about two weeks after uh, COVID here in the U.S. And, um, What's important about it is it is not a literal four-day work week. It may be for some people, it may be for some organizations, but again, it's about that flexibility that um the, the co-holder of the trademark and I saw before COVID. Um and and that COVID really made visible. It's the ability to get the same or better results with less hours, quote, at the job.
0: So in a way, you you uh, saw the great resignation before it actually hit the ground.
1: We didn't see that it would show up the way it did. We certainly saw that there was a shift afoot in how people work, where people work, when people work. And, um, you know, even then, there was... Uh, where some businesses that were experimenting microsoft did an experiment in japan where they significantly increased productivity while cutting their their sales week in the experiment back from five days a week to four so there was growing evidence that there was a significant shift afoot
0: okay okay so will the four-day work be will be the start of you know uh, getting enlightened leadership on the ground who will start showing that they have a heart and a heart full of love and empathy
1: I think the leaders need to be there before the four-day work week
0: okay okay so that's that's that is is that difficult do you find it possible impossible or do you think it's it, it this change will not happen or it will happen, but it will take a long time. How
1: Again, it will take a long time and it will happen. Um, if, if I were to look forward and um, I don't know what the time window is, but, but maybe 10 years from now, I think we're going to be back to a model that in some ways uh, parallels the agrarian age, where work is done, where people are, when it needs to be done. Um, and, and in any industry, that will vary. In any location, in two competitors, that will vary. Um, it, it will be dictated by the clients, the employees, and the needs of the organization. Not by a calendar, not by a clock. Right.
0: And those organizations or uh, startups who want to bring about that change, and get some success into this now. How do they connect with you?
1: They can reach me at Brian at transforminglives.coach. That's Brian at transforminglives.coach. Right. Or right. Brian Gorman at LinkedIn.
0: Right, right. My last question to you, Brian, is that amidst all this, you know, working with different sort of clients and you find that it will take at least 10 years for substantial change to come in. How do you keep yourself motivated? And then what do you keep fighting for?
1: Me personally?
0: Your ideas also, because you seem to be quite optimistic. You are talking about the four-day work work week. you got that trademark too.
1: I focus on working with those people who are, have a vision and are committed to making that vision happen um, and are not content with the status quo. I can't work with everyone. So I'm, I'm energized by working with people who are ready to make change happen. Um, Very often the first question I'll ask a client is what makes your heart sing? And if, if they know what it is that makes their heart sing, I just, it feeds me to help them learn how to sing along.
0: Right, right, Brian. Thank you very much for joining us. I think uh, you have shared a good amount of thoughts in terms of getting a lot of, whether enlightened leadership happens or not, this particular subject has certainly left me and the audience quite enlightened. I'm sure there will be a long, long learning for everybody as they go along in workplaces. As of now, this discussion, I'm sure, will start a lot of thinking for people who really have their heart at their right places. Thank you so much once again.
1: Thank you, AJ.